Welcome to Catholic Town, sponsored by the National Shrine Grotto of Our Lady of Lourdes and Mount St. Mary's University. Catholic Town aims to highlight people, places, and movements that are spreading the kingdom of God in the historic town of Emmitsburg, Maryland, and beyond. Join us as we sit down with Catholic figures of all types, hear their stories, and get to the heart of what drives them. This is David McCarthy from Mount St. Mary's University. This is Father Jim Donahue from Mount St. Mary's University. Uh, I'm the Associate Provost, used to teach in theology for a long time. Uh, Jim and I are good friends. Yes, Yes. indeed. And uh, we'll be doing a series of these, right? So I think that we will sort of, uh, let me see, introduce you slowly. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought... Too much of a good thing all at once. (laughs) Yes, and and my introduction on this one is going to be revealing to me and to you at the same time. Because I don't know whether the Stanley Cup's over. Is it over or middle? Yes, of it? it just finished. Was it four games? Did, did they? How many games did the the final go? Six. It went six. Yes. Okay. And okay. Tampa Bay Lightning defeated the Dallas Stars. Okay. I knew. I did actually watch parts of those games, uh-huh. but being a non hockey fan, I like right. didn't couldn't know where the puck was and kind of thing. <laughs> but the replays are good. The replays are yes. good. Yes. Yes. So, um, and then the other thing I knew but not being a hockey fan is that um, these were t- two places you wouldn't expect to have hockey teams. Absolutely. Both in the South, yeah. Texas yeah. and Florida. Yeah. So how does this happen? Just uh, they're new teams, relatively new. No, Dallas is not. Well, they started off in Minnesota and then they moved oh, to Dallas. Oh, I did not know that. They yeah. moved. They weren't expansion teams. They were moved teams. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Wow. Does Minnesota not have a hockey team now? Well, then after they lost their team, they... Oh protested and they got one. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Um, that was a very long introduction just to say that Jim is Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the same thing as saying he loves hockey. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, that you were in the community, religious community, uh, Congregation of the Resurrection. You want to just say a few things about that? Yeah, so I'm a member of the Congregation of the Resurrection. We have men all over the world. We have uh, three provinces. I belong to the Ontario, Kentucky province. And uh, we have a United States of America province, a Polish province. We have a region in Bolivia and Brazil. And our biggest mission is in Tanzania. And I had a sabbatical here from the Mount last year. And I spent the year in Tanzania at our mission. So that was a really incredible experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we will, you can go into detail that maybe um, the next time we talk. Yeah, that sounds great. Very good, yeah. All right, so we'll move on. So I am trying to do uh, multitask here in a way, uh, wanting this first of our series on the Gospel of Mark, because we'll be in year B. We'll say, I'll have a few questions for you about year B, of uh, where we'll use, read most of the Gospel of Mark, if not all. Yes. All right. And then, um, but at the same time, knowing this is going to start, this will be out, up, and for people to hear right around Advent or just before Advent, I thought we could maybe do two things at once. Now, the longer project here that you're here is to, to do the Gospel of Mark. Right. But the point is that it's going to roughly go with the liturgical year anyway, right? Which it's makes the gospel. sense. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So that's my question for you. What's the liturgical year and why do I care? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, uh, I would say for many, many people their exposure to scripture comes through Sunday readings. And 
one of the reforms of the Second Vatican Council was to try to um, help people to have a greater breadth and understanding of Scripture. So maybe I could start with a story. It's one of my favorite stories to oh, yeah. try to cool. illustrate cool. this. Okay. Yeah. So my my mother and father were both Roman Catholics, and I would say growing up that we were uh, a normal Catholic family, although. Um, I didn't understand that at the time. Mm-hmm. And one of our neighbors, um, Mr. and Mrs. Tufford, were Baptists. Those were the days when most mothers were stay-at-home mothers. Uh, we lived in a bungalow in a neighborhood filled with bungalows. And mothers really needed to work together, be friends together. Mrs. Yanku, who was Jewish, was the only mother who had a car and could drive. Wow. So she was like the go-to mother in our neighborhood if ever any kid got hurt because the fathers were working. So rather than say dial 911, there you was said, no 911. Look <laughs> at Mrs. Yanku. Yeah, Mrs. Yanku, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, my mother and Mrs. Tufford, they were both people of faith. And my mother was a super-duper Catholic and Mrs. Tufford was a super-duper Baptist. And unfortunately, when you think about this, the one thing that they had come to an understanding about was they could never talk about religion. Mm-hmm. So here they are, both followers of Jesus, both trying to raise their children as uh, as Christians, but they can't talk about religion. Um, but one day, uh, I was thinking, I, I must be in about eight or nine, but one day I remember my mother... Uh, stomping back from the Tuffords because they had started talking about religion and mm-hmm. Mrs. Tufford was yelling at my mother something about the Bible and about if she were to read the Bible then she would know this. Mm-hmm. And my mother walked up the steps to the door and with a flourish she turned around and her parting words to Mrs. Tufford were there's no Bible in this house. <laughs> she said with pride. Yes, exactly. Hey, I also have to say, in your mother's defense, that having lived in North Carolina a long time, and if we have Baptists listening now, there's no slight. It's just a true fact that Baptists kind of go in plan on their arguments with Catholics, right? <laughs> Catholics do not... At least your mother, I'm sure, never planned out her argument with a Baptist. So it was kind of like she was walking entirely unprepared to somebody who had a game plan. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. It is is kind of amazing when you think back about this was, I don't know, kind of a stereotype. Catholics had sacraments. Protestants had the Bible. And uh, there really wasn't a Bible in our house. Um, Just to... You know, there's a there's a nicer side to this or another side to this. I remember one time uh, Mrs. Tufford's uh, mother died. And I can remember my mother and father sitting at the kitchen table at night talking about whether or not they could go to the funeral and wondering if they went into the Baptist church, if that yeah. would be a mortal sin. Yeah. Yeah. And my mother made my father call Father Murphy. Of course, my father didn't want to call Father Murphy, but my mother made him call. Yeah. And Father Murphy said... I think it would be a mortal sin if you did not go. Oh, yeah, well, yeah that was really yeah, yeah. But yeah. it is it's, those stories kind of reflect it was a different time, and and I think one of the things at the council is that people wanted to retrieve for Catholics the 
the love for Scripture, the beauty of Scripture, right. and to right. acquaint which, them. Which, uh, so we're talking the Second Vatican Council, 1961? 1962 to 1965. And yeah. um, the, the buildup for that in terms of Scripture and other things, the liturgy, was decades, decades yes. earlier. So that yes. it wasn't like something all of a sudden. Exactly. Um, people, yeah. uh, the scripture and uh, scriptural studies yes. and liturgical studies back Pope, to the 20s and 30s. Yeah, and Pope Pius XII really um, opened the way for Catholic scholars to study the scriptures as Protestant scholars had been for some time as well. So if your mother had had that argument in 1970... Rather mm. than 1960, uh, no, okay, 1975, yeah. 1980, yeah. then she could have said, um, I go to Mass every week. Did she do daily Mass for a while? Yeah, when yeah. she was at okay. different points okay. in her life. So you yeah. get a lot of scripture then. Yeah. So she could have said, you know, every th- three years, I'm, I hear, I read, I, I hear, read yes. to me. The whole Old New Testament, or virtually the whole New Testament, actually, and, and like huge portions of the Old. Yeah, you actually yeah. put your finger on exactly what the plan was. So you could think about uh, two approaches. One was for the Sunday lectionary. So when we say lectionary, the selection of readings that are used for the liturgy on Sunday, and then the weekday lectionary. So um, the weekday lectionary... Maybe I could say something about that first because it's a little easier in some way. So it, it reads through the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So since there's so many more days, right. it kind of goes from the beginning of Matthew. And mm-hmm. it'll, it'll, it'll stop, though, as it gets close to the Passion. And then it starts with Mark again, then with Luke. And, and then, because part of it is to acquaint, was to acquaint Catholics with the breadth of Scripture so now you've got all the synoptic gospels pretty well, and for the weekday, it's in two, or for the first reading, there's two cycles. So there's year A and year B, or year one and year uh, two for the weekday readings. For the weekday uh-huh. readings, uh-huh. and uh, so if you opened up a lot of lectionaries, what it'll have is first reading, it'll have a Roman numeral one, and then Roman numeral two, and then the gospel. Mm-hmm. So many people get mixed up. Which one of these do I do? Right. And, of course, the simple way is the odd number ones are for odd years. Uh-huh. So right now we're in 2020, so you always read the second one. Uh-huh. Got it. Yeah. Got now, it. Some lectionaries, they'll have a year one so, lectionary and a year two lectionary, so it makes it easier for people. So um, looking at you as we're in the same room, I just sort of phased out like 30 <laughs> seconds ago. <laughs> You're just like my students. Yeah, huh? exactly. Um, so did you say in the daily readings they do the three Gospels in a single year? Yeah. Oh, okay. I yeah. didn't phase out. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then, then, then Sundays, the Gospels and other readings are on a three-year cycle. Exactly. Right. Okay. Yeah. Now, my sense of things just from attending Mass is that, uh, and actually being a lector, because when I'm a lector, I try to, you know, you got to do the balance between being monotone and just like sing-songing it or trying to be like affective right. and stuff. And what I try to do, try to that balance, is by understanding what the scriptures are trying to say. Therefore, yeah. you kind of can kind of dwell on something, right? And from it seems to me that the Sunday readings, the three readings, the Old Testament, the letter, and then the letter, New Testament letter, and then the gospel, all thematically fit together. 
Some days it doesn't seem that's the case, but most of the time you're smiling at me. <laughs> well, you got most of it here. Okay. Yeah. So, so for the Sunday, we, as you said, we have a three-year cycle. And so year A is Matthew, year B is Mark, and year C is Luke. Now, right away you might be thinking, hey, what about John? So I'll have to say something about John. Okay. But uh, so this coming year uh, is going to be the year of Mark. We're in the year of Matthew right now. And the Gospels drive the selection of readings. Mm -hmm. And so the Old Testament reading that's chosen for a given Sunday is chosen in light of the Gospel. Mm. So if the Gospel is about um, Jesus reaching out to a poor person, then the Old Testament reading is going to be about mm -hmm. a poor person. Yes. And yeah. then the psalm is always a response to that first reading. So mm -hmm. the psalm mm -hmm. is probably going to be, the Lord hears the cry of the poor. Mm -hmm. right, right, right. So if I could just jump in on this. The last time I was a lector a couple of weeks ago, we had Isaiah 55. My ways are not your ways. Right. And it's about God's mercy. Yes. And then we had a parable of God's mercy. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, yes. Nice. So what we've really got then is the first reading, the Old Testament reading, the response to that reading, the responsorial psalm, and the gospel have a similar theme. Mm -hmm. But the second reading oh. does not. Oh. The second reading is still oh. following that principle of trying to acquaint oh, people right? with the breadth. Oh, 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 and it's... so what we do is we get Paul's letters and the other epistles just read oh, from the beginning, not... one after the other. Oh. Oh. And so, coincidentally, sometimes it fits. Okay, so that's you. You're rescuing me on that one. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, you could you could kind of test this because yeah, if yeah, you yeah. were to interview ten people after mass and yeah. you said to them, well, "What was the second reading about?" Mm. Yeah, unless yeah. the priest preached about that, they yes. probably aren't going to because it's yeah. not the same theme as the can, other readings. Can I just my thought on that too? As you're talking, but also from being a lector over and over again in, the, in those sorts of things, it's all, it's usually, the letter is usually Paul. Yes. And Paul has his themes. Yes. And so there is a sense where like all the letters kind of mold into each other. Yes. Yeah. And, and the lectionary has them all beginning the same way. Yes. Brothers and sisters. Yeah, yeah. So uh, there is a way that the, the letters... You know, you sort of, uh, it's, it's, you get the overarching Paul sort of themes, yes. no matter what they are. Yeah. Yeah. So I did have somebody at church one time say to me, you know, you hardly ever preach about the second reading. And I said, well, I could make my homilies longer because I could give the homily and then say something about it. They said, that's okay. <laughs> uh, I do have to say that I do perk up um, and... As everybody, people listening, I've already admitted, like, I just glazed over even now. So, <laughs> <laughs> not like bragging, yeah. but um, I do perk up usually, like, the, when the letter is Hebrews. Yes. Because it's like, you're like, oh, it is a bit different. Yeah. yeah. Now, yeah. I didn't preach last weekend, but if I had preached last weekend, I had to do a, a reflection for last Sunday, I actually would have preached on the second reading because oh. it was the text from Philippians, though he was in the form of oh, God, he did yeah, not yeah. regard quality with God. Because this is yeah. a, a very, very important text. Yeah. And I, I would have actually preached on that because it's so important for people. Yeah. yeah. The Pana, Pana creator. 
Pontecrotter. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah, I was, yeah, yeah. If you, uh, for people listening, I was like trying to give him the, <laughs> the look, like, help me with this. <laughs> right? Isn't that yeah. what that is? That's yeah, like, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and it what is, does it translate as? Uh, Lord of the Cosmos. Lord of the Cosmos. Yeah. Okay. And, yeah. yeah. All right. So we're going to move on a bit. But before we do, I just want to say a few things by our, our benefactors. Okay, please. Yes, yes. So this is, we're sponsored. We're, we're able to talk to everyone because of the National Shrine of the Grotto. Yes. And uh, it's a place where people go on pilgrimage. And if people are listening to this, they probably have taken a little pilgrimage to the grotto. Um, my son used to work there. Oh, really? Yeah, which, I know. Which one? Uh, Quinn. Quinn worked there uh, oh, well. some various summers in a row. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because it was he worked um, <laughs> in Saint Bernadette's um, the the gift shop, yeah. which is in in the main building there. The, um, anyway, uh, yeah, it was air conditioned, right? Good summer job, nice. air conditioned. He worked the register. Yeah, and if people can't get there, um, I actually did get this i looked up at the gift shop website they're now online and so it's www.bernadettesshop.org but not being a good speller i couldn't get there by just typing that in and because it's the it's it's not bernadette's shop it's actually bernadette shop hmm. and it's shoppy s-h-o-p-p-e.org oh. so um if you want to take a look at um Stuff that Quinn, my son Quinn, at one time, <laughs> several summers in a row, uh, yeah. was able to ring up for people in nice. Bernadette's gift shop. It's www.bernadettesshop.org. Yeah. 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 Maybe it would be helpful if you held that address up to the microphone so people could see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, so um, thank you, National Shrine of the Grotto. All right, so we're back, and with that, I... Have I got a I got a rally about where we are here? Oh yes, oh yes. So we did a little, little bit about now the lectionary, and we know we're headed toward your your uh, your B, which on Sundays is Mark. Yes. And I thought that you could just give us maybe some big picture themes to Mark in sure. fifteen minutes or less. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Nice. So one of the things I usually say to uh, people is that we often have multiple reasons for doing things. Mm -hmm. So to say that Mark wrote his gospel because blank might be too simple. There are probably many reasons Mm. that he wrote his gospel. Hey, so if I could just backtrack on that, just because it's interesting. Um, It's off, you know, as you know, I taught moral theology for a long time. Well, you do too, and we wrote a book on it. Yes, we did. I forgot all about that. Just <laughs> do you have an advertisement for that too? You know, from the beginning of that sentence to the end of the sentence, I remembered that we wrote a book <laughs> called Moral Vision. Anyway, um, I, what I think is interesting about uh, a, a mistake, even that can be made within the tradition of moral theology, is to think that people do things for one reason. Yes. I mean, we are complex beings, yes. and seldom do we have a single reason. I guess when we go to court and we ask why we've done something, we yeah. come up with a, a reason yes but yeah. yeah so i'm just saying it seems to me that's human life anyway mm-hmm. yeah you know we live in complex yeah. world and so on so i think one of the things if if mark wrote his gospel we we think that he wrote his gospel around 70 
Okay. And if Jesus, just I'm just going to give kind of a round-off yeah. number, but if Jesus' death and resurrection was around 35, mm-hmm. 33, mm-hmm. 34, yes. 35, then we've got about 35 years. And you know, even today, we think about that as a generation. Yes. And so that would mean that Mark is actually writing for second-generation Christians. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even if you think a bit more about life expectancy in those days, um, there probably were not as many people around still who had ever been around when Jesus lived. Yeah. Hey, so I got a comment on that. Mm-hmm. So um, sometimes people think that like things are going to be more reliable. I know when I was a kid, um, and I can't tell you when I worked myself out of that. Usually when I say when I was a kid, like that's like before I was 40. <laughs> I was, um, just as an aside, um, I know everybody wants to hear this, but I've been, I've been working on what is the third floor of the front of my house on a ladder for weeks and weeks because I don't get I've seen it. you. Have you seen me? Yeah. yeah, and people comment all the time. People comment to me like, I'm afraid to see you up there. And I'd say, I'm afraid to be up there too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I just had a conversation with a young guy in the neighborhood and I said, I couldn't have done it when I was 30, 35. This guy was like 25 because... Now that I'm close to 60 now, like I, if something drops, I let it drop. I don't try to do something extra and reach, mm. you know, I, I'm just calmer and more disciplined about, um, you know, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, like when I was 25, I would have fell off that ladder because I would try, I, I would have thought I was Superman or something. Mm. Okay. Back to this. So when I was a younger man, I used to think, wouldn't it have been easier if I was around during Jesus' time, because I would, and I would have understood everything. Like I'd read the Bible. I was like, what, what is going on? This is hard. Right. And then you realize, oh no, it was harder. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, because, yeah. you know, uh, the life of faith doesn't get any easier. Being in God's presence doesn't get easier being like when it's happening, right? Right. And um, at probably more confusing. And that is to say, it would seem to me to take a generation for people to gain perspective. Yeah. Is that a fair thing to no, say? No, I think so. Yeah, yeah okay. And, and sort things out. Yeah and, yeah, and so what we have, I mean, Luke tells us that people are handing these stories down and people have put their hand to writing a narrative and this is what he's going to do. They're trying to, yes. in a sense, kind of order them for people so that it does make some sense. Right, about, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, I think I've heard you, I think being in class, sitting in class, I've heard you, um, um, when you're trying to sort of just talk about the oral tradition and how mm-hmm. it was reliable. Yes. Um, I remember being in class and you started telling your, um, the, going into a bar jokes, horse goes into a yes, bar. Yes, yes. Um, here at Mount St. Mary's, everybody <laughs> is aware that uh, Jim likes his jokes. and uh, Probably more than other people. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Anyway, um, so horse goes in the bar and the bartender says... Hey, buddy, why the long face? Right, and then the termite goes into the bar and says, is the bartender here, yeah, right? So yeah. those... Um, so anyway, so you, I remember in class and you told three or four and I got sucked in Yes. and I, I quickly raised my hand like you're not supposed to do yeah, I know. I raised my hand. I said, I got one, which by the way, my son came up with in response to you. Um, it was, um, four guys walk into a bar 
No, three guys walk into a bar and the fourth one ducked. <laughs> so <laughs> I got to add that to my repertoire. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so I think I said that and then you were like, see? Yeah. yeah. And how when you categorize things like Jesus's parables or sayings or miracles. Controversy stories, healing, You come up with devices in order to remember them reliably. Yes. And like knocked off jokes as well. Yeah, you know, yeah. you got this format where you sort of, and the gospels are put together that way. Yes. Yeah. So. so this is, of course, I think one of the big challenges. I think a lot of times people don't think about it. And then when they do think about it, it makes them nervous. Is we have a period of about 35 years where the stories of Jesus, what he said and what he did are handed on largely through oral tradition. Right. So our experience of that is that this is untrustworthy. Right. People say like the tele- exactly. telephone. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I had a, well, I have t- uh, two examples. Uh, one is older one, and one is a very new one that have helped me to get a sense of how this might be more uh, reliable than we might think. Mm. The first is, I remember when I was teaching this, and I was just reading the Washington Post one day, and there was a, a, a mosque in Alexandria. Um, it was uh, during uh, Ramadan. And you need an iman, or you, you need someone who has memorized the entire Quran to leave all the services through Ramadan. Right. And that mosque did not have one. So they imported an iman from Pakistan. But when he got to Dulles, he was on some list, and oh. they sent him back home. Oh, wow. So the mosque had to do something that they knew they could have, but they just didn't want to. There was a 14-year-old and a 15-year-old boy, two of them, who had memorized the whole Quran. Uh, they just didn't want to right. have yeah. to have them do it because they were so sure. young. yeah, yeah. But you think about this, like, wow. I mean, this yep. is really amazing. Yeah. My more recent experience was when I was in Tanzania. Hmm. So they sing like at every liturgy. And there, I could hardly ever, besides the Gloria, I could hardly ever learn these songs because they all seem different to me. Hmm. And one day at breakfast, I said, because they have no books. Right. There's no books. Yep. And well, I said, how many songs do you guys think you know? And they figured maybe like 150. And... Um, and also, by the way, when they go to school, so some of students are studying philosophy, some are studying theology, they have no books. Oh. The teacher lectures for like three hours, and they take notes, and then they talk among themselves. It's still an oral culture. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Hey, uh-huh. so I'm going to say, though, even, well, I'm accepting all that you say, mm-hmm. but say even if it were less reliable, um, I think that that even says more, say, faith-wise, like the spirit inspiration is given to the church or, you know, it's a gift to the church. Right. And so we have faith that God works through people as we are. Yes. Right. Yes. yes. And so, yeah, we had an oral, oral culture that passed things on reliably, but the whole Bible and, you know, the gospels or even gospel of Mark, we have faith that God could, God can speak through People who are—I don't want to say like us. I mean, they obviously were different, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but people who were people and didn't—you know—they didn't have to be like many gods or right. um, 
uh, I don't know what the, I don't know what the first century version is of rocket science, but yeah. you get the point, yeah. right? They, they, they were people, um, people of faith and people that were inspired by God. And that's what we Catholics in particular call tradition. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. yeah. So there you go. I, I do yeah. think, um, sometimes, and like I say, I told you, I think I told you earlier, you know, before we started recording that, um, sometimes I encounter with people and students, cause we're with students all the time who, um, they have this default position about the Bible being reliable in a way that they would not need God. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. They want to see like, like, like it's a relay race, right? Mm-hmm. This baton gets passed to that person, then to that person, always the same baton. You can see it the whole time. Yeah, you yeah. know it's there. Yeah. You don't need God for that, yeah, right? And yeah, that, that scripture yeah. is God's, cooper- God's like amazing cooperation, partnership with human beings yeah, yeah. to be the vessels of God's word. God's word. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, okay. So anyway, we're at year 70. Yeah. So... And, and, you know, one of the things I would say, too, before I talk about why Mark, what might have inspired Mark to write his gospel, is that by organizing these stories, and we'll, we'll talk about this more as we go on okay. in these talks, but you might think about a particular story in the gospel of Mark, but since it's a narrative, that story is connected to other stories. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that happens in the gospel is that it's not just the particular story, but when you look at the context, the arrangement of stories also tells a story. Okay. And so um, this we will see this in like all many, many, many examples, but you know, so just one example or illustration is there's a place where in chapter 8, the disciples are really confused about something Jesus has done at the multiplication of the loaves and fish. And they only have one loaf of bread in the boat with them. And Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Of course, he's talking about, you know, like their influence on you. Yes. Like when I was a kid, my mother said, don't hang around that Johnny, whatever his name is. Yes. He's a bad apple. You yes, know, but Johnny's <laughs> mother was saying the same thing about oh, G- you, Jimmy Donahue. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, but the disciples, they think yeah. he's mad because they only have one loaf. And Jesus says, do you not understand? Do you not comprehend? And he goes through all these things. And then the next story is the healing of a blind man. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Got it. And Got so it. Yeah. it's not yeah. just the story, but the yeah. arrangement of stories. It also tells a story. Yeah. Right. And, and I do have to say also, that uh, sometimes I think, uh, particularly with the Gospels, that part of the inspiration is that the, those arrangements are going to say more than Mark ever knew. Absolutely. Yeah. So as you go through the Gospels very carefully, you're going to see connections. And like, who knew Mark knew what he's doing? I mean, they're just so complex and rich. Yeah. I, I Wow. There's so many things that that makes me think of. I, I can think about times where I'm preaching, for instance— and I thought I had this point in my head. Yeah. And somebody will come up to me after mass and say, wow, when you said such and such, that right. really helped. And I'm thinking, well, I didn't intend that at all. Yeah. Right. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. 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 This happens in our regular reading about things too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's, um, I think it's uh, what, when artists say, um, you know, artists or, or novelists or something will, will be asked like, you know, 
does this happen? You do this for this reason. They kind of detach themselves from it. They say, Hey, that's that I've written it. It's like living on its own now. And I get that because they recognize that it's going to be bigger than them. Yeah. 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 So, so if I could uh, say maybe quickly here, two things that might have really motivated Mark. So one is that the experience of most of the Christians in his community, maybe all of them, uh, certainly Mark himself is more like ours than the okay. first disciples. Say that again then. The experience that they have of Jesus okay. is more like our experience oh, of Jesus. Okay. okay. Than, the people Mark is with yeah. in this second generation. Yeah. Okay. Because right. like mm-hmm. Mark's community, Fair we have yes. never encountered yes. the historical Jesus. Right. We didn't right. hear him speak. We didn't mm-hmm. see him do things. And our experience of Jesus is as risen Lord. Right. And what Mark is trying to do, one of the things he's trying to do is to help people who have this faith and who have been uh, touched by their own experience of the risen Jesus to say, well, what was he like? What did, what did he do while he was here? Mm-hmm. Because they didn't see this or hear this mm-hmm. themselves. Okay. And so in many ways, he's reproducing the experience of the first disciples for Mm-hmm. This next mm-hmm. generation, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is what happens with us, right? Yes, yes, it's exactly what happens with us. Yes, yes, and so I just want to develop that a little bit, and I'm not saying what I'm saying is right, so correct it. So there's a level where the Gospels and here mark a level because that they're a biography, like yes. who was this person. And a lot of things that we are already said is what you would say about a biography, right? Even about um, you know any any historical figure, you're not really going to know the significance of their life until decades right. after, and then you know more the further you go away, you know, because because the context becomes larger and those sorts of things. Okay, but it's more than a biography in the sense, oh, and this is why it's the good news, right? Or evangelical, mm-hmm. yeah in that we're supposed to live in it. So if I read a biography about Teddy Roosevelt or something, I don't know why I thought Teddy Roosevelt, but yeah. you get the point. Yeah. Uh, I don't like have a sense where I have to respond to Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> right. Right? Is, that, right. is that a way to put it? Yeah, yeah. Right? Uh, I could just say, oh yeah, cool guy, yeah. understand his significance, even really like him a lot now because the biographers really want you to, usually want you to like their because the biographer likes them so much yes. or something, but I I wouldn't feel like I have I'm you know I mean that I that that Teddy Roosevelt is a living that I'm responding to. So can you develop say something about that and how gospels work in that way? Well, yes, uh, because I think one of the things that uh, uh, okay, one of the things I think that can be very difficult for people is to think about why we believe the things that we believe. So these stories that we read, for instance, the Gospel of Mark. Mm -hmm. um, Why are we inclined to believe them? So let me just play devil's advocate for a second. So, So maybe these disciples of Jesus, you know, he, they were with him for, for three years. They were friends. Um, in Mark's Gospel, one of the starkest lines is when Jesus is arrested, they all ran away. So these are his yep. friends. Yep. 
And at the Last Supper, they all drank from the cup. They all were symbolically saying, hey, no matter what happens to you, I'm going to be there. Right. But they all run yeah. away. Peter so, says more, even. Oh, yeah. And if, <laughs> even if everybody else, I'll be there. Don't worry about me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, um, but maybe, you know, uh, witnessing this ignominious death that they were just so filled with guilt and remorse that they imagined that Jesus was still alive or yeah. something. Mm-hmm. Um, even picking another person like Paul. So he's on the road to Damascus and it doesn't actually say he's on a horse, but we always get this image he's on a horse. Yes. Maybe he just hit his head too hard. Right. Right. And he said, I, you know, I heard this voice and yeah. And gets, gets some taken in by Christians and has Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've never read that theory, but yeah. I so, just came to me. Yeah. So it's like, like, but why do, why do we not? And even some things like in Matthew's gospel, you know, they just stole the body, right? And, mm-hmm. and um, yeah. the disciples had a good thing going and they wanted to keep it, which you it's, wonder how that's really true it, when they all got exactly, killed. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know how good right, I think right. that was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, yeah. but you might think about this and think, well, why is it given other possibilities that people tend to believe these stories? Right. And I think what's different for Christians than, for instance, the example of Teddy Roosevelt is that they believe these stories because they resonate with their own experience. Ah, ah, right. I have not had a story about Teddy Roosevelt in my life where mm-hmm. I'm like, he's alive. Yes. Right? Yes. And so as a Christian who's been baptized, um, who has encountered Christ, and you know, this is where like some Catholics get uh, mixed up when our Protestant brothers and sisters say, have you been saved? I mean, what they're saying like is, is Jesus like alive in your life or do you encounter him? Yes. And, and in fact, if you do encounter the risen Lord, then the encounter that you have in your prayer and the liturgy and relationships and so on is mirrored in these stories. Yes. So there's yeah. a kind of no, fair enough. give yeah. and take between these things, yes, which yes. is really different from Teddy Roosevelt, for instance. Okay, great. And uh, we can kind of circle back to the beginning of this uh, when we were discussing the liturgy. And a lot of that, I mean, a lot of our experience is also shaped by the liturgy. Absolutely. So all those, it is an interesting, um, yeah. yeah, liturgy comes out of scripture, scripture comes out of liturgy. They're, yeah. they're both, uh, oh, like Philippians too. Yeah. yeah, good. All right, so let's recap this because we have really, we put detour upon detour on this. Yes, <laughs> we didn't even get to all the other reasons he wrote the gospel. Oh, we, give me a few more. Well, one more. The, oh, yes, the other yes. big one was that, so if we're thinking about the year 70, yes. uh, Nero was um, um, the emperor in 64. Right. In Rome. Right. And... We think Mark wrote his gospel in Rome for Romans, a small, much smaller community than we probably imagine when we just think about what his community was. But we all know, I think many people know about the stories where uh, Rome burned while Nero fiddled and so on. And we have an extra biblical source about this from the Roman historian Tacitus. So Tacitus actually wrote about this and he talked about how there were rumors that it was Nero who actually started the fire because he wanted to clear out places for more buildings and so on. But the Christians were used as scapegoats. And Tacitus actually writes about 
So when we think about the persecution of the Christians, this is one of the places that it did happen, that they were torn about, torn apart by wild beasts, that they were used as human torches. And so there was a terrible persecution, and you could imagine that at that time that there would be circumstances where someone would say, well, you too are a Christian, aren't you? And the person said, mm. Christian? Uh, What's a Christian? Yeah, I don't know thanks. any Christians. Yes. yes. Uh-huh. And and with the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in 70, we could just say that there's like something in the air, that there was like another looming persecution. And one of the possible reasons that Mark wrote his gospel was to prepare his community for another persecution. Mm. Mm. And I would say that that might, might be a good way to end this here. That might explain why the thing you hear Jesus say most in the Gospel of Mark is, do not be afraid. Yeah. Right. Only have faith. Yeah. 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 I was a little bit precocious, I think, in the sense of reading the Bible when I was young. And I would I remember this um, quite quite clearly with the Gospel of Mark that I don't know if this fits with what you just said, but that um, the the well your phrase is the little people, but uh, the reversal the reversal power the the people that are powerless are uh, and Jesus himself has um, is on the. Uh, the power of God is given to the powerless. Is that a way to put it? Yeah, yeah. Or the power of God is seen through the powerless. Yeah. Is that the other way to put well, it? Well, like, you know, with Paul, Paul had his own problems, and three times, whatever this thorn in his side was, or thorn in the flesh, he asks God to remove this, and God says, my power is best manifested in your weakness. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so um, now the detour pun detour. Okay. And that's all my fault. I'm a detour guy, as you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I like this. <laughs> so we started out discussing liturgical year. Mm-hmm. Yes. And Even though you phased out for a little bit. I did, I yeah. did, yeah. yeah. And I was thinking, oh, come on, the detail. <laughs> Just looking for an overview, fella. <laughs> no, uh, so we did liturgical year, the distinction between the daily readings, which I was going to mention the middle of the daily readings, which means the daily readings as opposed to the Sunday readings. You said the Old Testament reading and the gospel are going to go together in the Sunday readings. Yes. That's not going to be the case, daily readings. No. Because both you're just They're reading. Both there are readings. readings through. Yes. 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 Yeah. And then you um, explained, which I, I can look out for it with the second reading, the yes. letter, and that's a continuous reading. Yes. Right. And then we, I think then we started shifting. What we didn't do is talk about the liturgical year as a whole, but we'll do that as we go along because we're going to try to, we're going to go through Mark and that'll give us through the liturgical year. So yes. we'll end up talking about And we about can Christmas. figure out how the liturgical year fits with the gospel. Oh yeah. yeah. And you know what? Maybe we'll do that actually at the beginning of the next time we can talk. You were going to discuss John in the middle of, um, maybe yes. we'll do that next time we'll go over. So okay. teaser for the next time. Okay. <laughs> we'll go through an overview of um, Mark in the whole year and then touch on liturgical year. Okay, and then we discussed these themes of Mark and you um, discussed a little bit of its process of composition and receiving both orally and and in writing. He gets written sources as well. Um, And then we had this little bit in the middle there about inspiration, one of my detours, Mm -hmm. but uh, the idea really that, that 
um, scripture is is a gift to the church, not to individuals actually, right. and that it is it is tradition that is given. You know, it's it's a it's the way that God in, has enlivened people as a community mm-hmm. to be faithful to God's word in a way that gives us what is the Bible. Yeah. Is that a, a yeah. decent yeah. way to put it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then you and then if we are not skipping anything, we went on to these themes. Um, I just wrote down for myself um, something like you said. You said something like you know he wrote it so people will know who this guy is. Right. Right. And that was my Teddy Roosevelt yeah. analogy. Yeah. And then um, and then you used my well. There's something more thing to go on to uh, why people believe. Yes. And in a lot of ways, he writes it so people believe that it's true. Yes. <laughs> or they can know that it's true. Yes. Yeah, they can be confident that it's true. Yes. Great. Nice? Yes. Uh, in the middle of that, you said that also, I was trying to get at the part about a gospel where you, um, we can find ourselves in it, right? Absolutely. Um, and then that's when you said something like, uh, which I can't remember, what, what did you say in the middle of that? Um, uh, oh, it fits with our experience of the living God. Yes. Right, and and so we and we read the gospel differently, or I will read the gospel differently than I'm going to read a biography of Ronald Reagan, especially yes. my people, yes. or Lyndon Johnson, and um, because I have no, you know, I don't have that experience personal, you know, that the, right. in my life, and I don't even want to say personal experience. Uh, I want to say like the Pantocrator, Pantocrator. Thank you. Yeah. So I want to even say. Um, the experience of the God of the cosmos, God right. of the universe, right? Yeah. Okay. Great. And then the third. You know what word I like about what? to use? Yeah. Encounter. Oh, great. Because when you know when you say experience, sometimes people yeah, I know make it it can seem to them that it's like a feeling. Yeah, and and experience is something you can't argue with. Yeah. <laughs> Right, an encounter seems to be broader because yeah, it no, certainly I, I, doesn't preclude these things. Well, that helps me things, with the personal yeah, thing yeah. Uh, because I was just trying to do. You said in there like um, the personal savior bit. Yeah, like I remember. I don't know if people have listened to these before. If I have conversation with Pete on, on one of these before, and yeah. Pete and I had this very very funny conversation where somebody asked both of us about would we say that um, Catholics or Christians need to have Jesus as their personal savior. And both of us were like, and if Pete finally said, I just wouldn't put it that way. <laughs> right. Which I thought was good because that, that was my thing about, no, we we can have an encounter with Jesus as the Lord, yeah. the, the savior of the world. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Nice. So there we are. Is that a good enough summary? I think so. Okay, great. That's one of your great gifts. Summarizing. <laughs> that's like, is that a criticism? <laughs> no, that's, that's, uh, that was a good deal. <laughs> David, you're a really good summarizer. <laughs> I'll hold off with the compliments from now on. <laughs> so um, we want to thank uh, the National Shrine of the Grotto of Our Lady of Lords here in Emmitsburg, connected to Mount St. Mary University. Um, already gave my Quinn McCarthy pitch, you know, yes. about St. Bernadette's um, pilgrimages are always possible. Um, lots to see and do and pray there. Yeah. Very good. So see you all next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>